how many of you just by show of hands would say that at some point in the last week, the thought about what am I going to do with the rest of my life may have crossed your mind, just could have at some point, right? See, it's kind of funny how big of a deal that is. And so we actually thought it'd be really good to get into this idea of what would it look like to discover God's deepest purposes for your life. So um, three-week series, we're going to get started. You want to go ahead and roll the intro video and we can, we can jump into this. gives you just a little bit of a, a slice of an idea of what we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks. I, I hope you had a really good break. I hope you had a great time over Christmas. I know I did. I got a meat smoker for Christmas. So I'd be like, I'm going to start making jerky. That's, I know. It's like the gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? I hope you had a great Christmas. But, um, and for, for those of you that are in school, I hope that you didn't forget a ton of really useful information. Um, I know for, it feels like that always happens to me over a break. In school, I'd always feel like we'd go on break and, and I'd come back afterwards and it'd be like, okay, so we're going to pick up where we left off. I'm like, we, we learned that? Like, you know, like you'd have that moment of like, where was I? Because it's like, you know, I would take a two weeks off school and my brain is just like, well, we don't be needing this anymore. And trigonometry, pah. You know, it's just like, like my brain just does that. And so I don't know if that ever happened to you, but um, has anyone ever had the experience though where you're kind of like in learning mode and one of your friends enters the scene and does something horribly dumb because they think they're funny, and like, but they're not funny. Like, you're not even impressed because you're pretty sure that you were just dumber for having seen whatever they did. Like, does this happen to me? Like, okay, I'm talking about literally. Sometimes it'd be like reading a book, and you know, like college time, and like somebody would like just come in the room, like, hey, hey, check this out, check this out. What? I got a gym bag on my head. I'm like. You interrupted my learning for that? Thank you. We are all dumber because of what you just did. Like, you know, like, like, I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that, but I've had those times where it sounds harsh, okay? But I just, I've noticed a connection that determines how okay I am with stuff taking up real estate in my mind, basically. Basically, okay, here's the thing. If someone tells me, that there is 50% off lattes tomorrow at Starbucks, I will be like, awesome, thank you for that helpful information. That's good. But if somebody tells me there's 50% off at Eddie's Emporium of oddly shaped sweaters, then I'm going to be like, why did you just waste my brain space? You know what I'm saying? Like you kind of have like, it's like, what, is this good information or is this useless? And everything kind of gets filed through you know, the lens of that good or pointless information, even random facts. In fact, I've got a few random facts right here that I would like to share with you. And I would like you to kind of vote in your mind here about whether these facts belong in the category of important 
Okay, like, I needed to know that, hello. Interesting, maybe you didn't need to know it, but good to know. Or the category of, why should I care? Why did you just clog up useful brain cells with that? Okay, so here, here we go. Here's the first one. Did you know that wearing headphones for an hour increases the bacteria in your ear by 700%? That's weird, right? I don't know where you would file that information, but that's weird. Did you know, here's the second one, more than 50% of the people in the world have never made or received a telephone call? It's, yeah. Next one, 13% of Americans actually believe that some parts of the moon are made of cheese. Huh. You know, there's debate going on, right? Is it important? Is it interesting? Is it, why are you wrecking my brain and clogging it up with useless things, right? Like, I don't know where you stand there. Okay, next one. Peanuts are one of the ingredients of dynamite, believe it or not. Yeah. Next one. Venus is the only planet that rotates clockwise. Just so you know. Oh, I missed one. That was about France. Go back. France. In France, oh, this is weird. In France, a five-year-old child can buy an alcoholic drink in a bar. Yeah, that's true. It's a lot of they have, a, they have a pretty good Alcoholics Anonymous program in kindergarten over there, too, so that's good. It's like, come on, kids, let's gather around. Okay, my name's Billy, and I'm an alcoholic. All right, Billy. Hand over the, hand over the blocks. No. Okay, anyways. Um, you get to number six. Venus is the only planet that rotates clockwise. Number seven. Coconuts kill about 150 people every year, which is more than sharks. So you know. And people, this is the best, number eight, people photocopying their butt are the cause of 23% of all photocopier faults worldwide. Again, is that important? Is it interesting? Is why should I care? Where do you file that? There are 240 dots on an arcade Pac-Man game just in case you wanted to know. And lastly, a cockroach will live nine days without its head before it starves to death because its head's only useful function is to feed it, not to do anything else. Lovely. Okay, so when I get a list like that, here's what I do. I put all the things that don't directly have anything to do with my life in the category of why should I care. Kind of like this, like, like the headphone thing is sort of good to know because like I use headphones, so I'm like, huh, that's crazy. I should air out my ears from time to time, perhaps. You know, like I'm, like, I'm thinking about it, right? Now, the peanuts and dynamite thing goes in the why should I care category just because I don't make dynamite. I don't. I'm not like, Oh, that's good for knowing next time I make up a batch of dynamite. Like, seriously, who cares if peanuts are in dynamite? That's just, whatever. Now, the coconuts one is interesting because it shows that I should be more afraid of coconuts than sharks. Really. Let's just think this through. But now, but here's the other thing of why it kind of goes into why should I care because I don't live in a coconut-infested area or a shark-infested area. So really, I don't, I don't need to know. I will be okay. I probably am not going to die from coconuts or sharks. 
but if I ever have to choose, I'll take on the sharks. Okay, the rotation of Venus. Why would anyone need to know that? Unless you're like an astronomer or something. The bum photocopying thing. Okay, so I think this is actually very good to know. Because I know that the next time that our photocopier breaks, I know that I will probably be after some of the people in this very room because now I probably know why it's broken. Just saying. Not naming any names. Nathan Luter. Okay, anyways. You see, it's, it's kind of like a pretty instant process to categorize these things. And the thing is, I do this all the time. I'm always categorizing information. You know, I do it when I, when I flip on the news and like, you know, it's like, and here's the weather in Kelowna. I'm like, who cares? You know, because I don't live in Kelowna, right? There's no relevance to my life. I just kind of move on. And, and I've got to be honest and confess to you that sometimes this actually happens when people are talking to me, this process. Not very much, but sometimes I'll be having a perfectly normal conversation with someone where they're like telling me something about their life. Be like, yeah, how's your, how's your Christmas? Oh, it's really good. Oh, this is kind of what's going on. Yeah, yeah, blah, 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 my family. And they're like, we're actually talking about something normal. And then all of a sudden, the person stops their story abruptly and they say, oh, wait, wait, wait. Remind me, I have to buy mustard today. And then I will just kind of look at them and be really polite and be like, yeah, I'll try to remember that. But my brain is already like, won't be needing this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like there's just no chance that I'm even going to try to remember. But out of politeness, I'll say that I will. But I'm like, really? You were telling me something interesting. And all of a sudden, you're like, wait, 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 I need mustard. And I'm like, who cares? Like, why? I'm not going to remember that. See, we have this whole process of categorizing what I need to know versus what I don't need to know. And what's really crazy is when though, then something goes from the category of why should I care and then into the category of I really need to know this. I don't know if any of you ever experienced category shift before, but it rocks your world. It totally messes you up when all of a sudden you're just like, oh, I totally don't need to know that. And then all of a sudden you're like, I totally do need to know that. And then it just, it, it's crazy. Like, it's kind of like when I was learning to drive. You see, before I got my learner's license, like, my parents would just be driving me around, and I didn't really need to know how to get from my house to the mall. Like, why would I need to really know that? I mean, I mean, I kind of, like, knew the way, and I mean, I knew roughly I could think what, like, highway exit to get off of, but, like, it was not like, if someone said, hey, can you give me directions to the mall? I'd be like, I don't know where it is, just ask the mall. You know, like, that was just the way it was. And then I remember the first time, my dad was letting me drive to the mall, and I said, well, how do we get there? And you know what his response was? He goes, well, I, best you, I guess you better figure it out, son. And he wouldn't even tell me. So we drove around for 25 minutes in circles before he finally told me where to go. But then after that, I always remembered how to get to the mall. Because, you see, the location of the mall just switched from, meh, if I know, I don't know, to like, no, like, I really need to know how to get there because, you know, I was driving. And this kind of kept happening to me over and over in my life. Like, like before I had kids, you know, the next slide here, before I had kids, I didn't care, uh, oh, it's one after that, uh, I didn't care if I knew how to swaddle a baby or warm up a bottle or change a diaper, you know, but after the baby is born, I'm just like, oh, that really matters. I have to know that. You know, like, pre-baby, um, should you feed babies um, Doritos? You know what I mean? Like, who, who knows? Who cares? All of a sudden, you're just like, you're a parent. It's like, should you feed babies Doritos? No! What's wrong with you? You know, like, it's a total shift just because now you have a baby, right? Okay. 
Before I was married, you can go to the next one. Before I was married, I didn't care or know anything about scented candles in any way. Before I was married. I was like, really? You have scented candles in your house? For what? Honestly, for what? And then, like, now, though, I'm like an expert on Bath and Body Works store because I'm married, and that's like my wife's favorite store, so, like, I have to know things. I have to know what candles I'm allowed to bring in the house and what candles are not allowed to come in the house because there's a thing about which candles can and cannot. And if you're wondering what these say, this candle around the left is scented tire fire, and the one on the right is scented asparagus pea, I would really recommend you don't bring those candles home, especially if you are married, because your wife will kick your butt out of the house. And anyways, moving along, before I owned a house, I didn't really care, you can go to the next slide, I didn't really care if I knew how to repair drywall, or lay baseboards, or install a floor, or fix a gutter. But now that I own a house, that information is important to me, right? It went from like, why would I care, to I super need to know this, right? And so there's been that category shift. And, you know, there was a time in my life where if someone asked me if I wanted to know what God's mission was all about, you know, the next slide, I would have politely smiled and said, sure, well, quietly inside my brain, I would have been checking my watch and being like, is this done? Really? You know, there, there, I'm, I'm just being, being honest with you. There was a time in my life where I really thought that understanding God's mission, what God's up to, like what is he, what is he doing? There was a time where I thought, well, that probably doesn't really matter. Like, I mean, it's God's mission. It's not Ryan's mission. It's God's mission. And as long as God knows what God is doing on his mission, that's probably fine. So I'm assuming he's got it under control and I don't need to know. And I kind of walked around like that for a little while because I was thinking, like, why would God need or want me to know what he's up to? Like, why would that really matter? Uh, besides, I, I felt like at the time, I kind of felt like I had more important things to deal with. I thought, well, you know, I've got friend drama. I've got life stress. I have career choices. I have family stuff going on. Knowing God's mission didn't exactly fit into the highest priority of my life at the time. And if we're really honest with ourselves, like all of us here, I think we could probably all fall into that reality from time to time. Like there are like churchy things that we think, well, that probably doesn't really matter too much for me. I mean, as long as the pastors know that, that's probably fine. I'll just ask them if I need to know, but I probably will never need to know. And what, what I need to worry about is, is, is just anything else but that. But what about if I told you that as it turned out that I really needed to know what God's mission was and so do you? I'm, I'm really serious. What if I were to tell you that not knowing what God's mission is could absolutely mess your life up? It, it, all of a sudden, I, I still remember when things came crashing, I realized like, oh my goodness, I need to know what God is up to and what his mission is and, and, and why it matters. See, I needed to know and you need to know because we live in a world where fathers leave their children to grow up without them, where adults sexually abuse children in their care, where presidents and prime ministers and senators and mayors lie, steal, and then lie some more about their lying and stealing. We live in a world where good people lose their jobs because their bosses got really greedy. We live in a world where wars take the lives of millions of innocent children all around the world every year. Kids who are just out playing and are caught in the crossfire and all of a sudden that's the end of their lives. And then personally, 
we experience overwhelming percentages of depression, of anxiety, and fear when it comes to this task in front of us of growing up and facing our futures. See, that's the real world we live in. And what if I told you that God's great mission in the world was actually to deal with those things? Seriously. What if I were to tell you and explain to you that God's mission is to actually take on issues like fatherlessness and sexual abuse and scandal and poverty and injustice and depression and anxiety? See, all of a sudden... God's mission starts becoming pretty important. See, if that's true, then what God is actually up to is really central to the world that we live in every day. And so we need to know what is God up to. We need to know what is this problem of evil and what is God going to do about it. And when we answer that question, what we're answering is really the question, which is what is God up to in the world. And see, for you and I, the problem of evil is kind of like this. It's kind of like, have you ever had a balloon that wasn't like really filled up, like super full? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, not like the balloon where you're like, and I touched it, pop. Like, not like that, where it's just like, there's a little bit of air in the balloon. You ever notice that like, when you do that, like, you can like squish down, like, you ever try and like squish all the air out of it, but it's just like, boop, and it like pops out in another spot? I'm, I'm not the only person who's been entertained by this for hours, I swear, Right? Like, you've done it, right? You're like, oh, you got a balloon at a party when you're a kid, and you pick it up, and you squeeze it, and you're like, oh, look, you know, it popped out of here. I'm going to put, oh, now it's out there. Oh, that's so funny. Like, and you're just like, okay, well, so that was my, my childhood, whatever. I thought it was funny. And so the thing is, though, the problem of evil is kind of like trying to squash the air out of a balloon. As soon as we think we've dealt with evil in one area, like we take it, and we're like, I got the evil dealt with. And it's like, boop, it pops out somewhere else. That's the problem in trying to deal with evil. Every time you think you've dealt with evil, every time any country thinks that it's like, oh, we've dealt with the problem of evil, anytime anybody thinks they've dealt with evil, it's something just kind of pops up somewhere else. And so the question that we kind of have to ask ourselves when we face the kinds of things that are so serious in our lives, the kinds of things that we're just talking about, we have to actually ask ourselves, what is actually going to be done with this issue of evil? How is, this, how is the world going to be made right? Can I say like, I get it, and I think we all get it. We understand that, like, divorce was not actually meant to be a part of our story, was it? I mean, the truth is, it may not be you, but it's certainly, like, one of your friends, because it's kind of, like, the most normal thing in our culture. But if you've lived through a divorce, you understand what kind of hell that brings into your life. And you go through that, and you say, you know what, there's no way this was supposed to happen. Some of you have actually sat in, you know, in your bedroom and you've listened to the conversations going on between your mom and your dad really quietly about the money trouble in your house. And they try to be really brave about it. And they try to like not tell you all the stuff, but it's pretty scary. And the real truth of the matter is, is that you know, dad's just not getting any shifts anymore because you know, some shareholders in the company realized that they could make an extra few bucks every year if they shipped some of the work off to like a different country. And that's what's going down. And that's, that, that kills us. We know there's something that's just not right about that. I mean, if you've ever actually just experienced the kind of like a sting of betrayal when somebody you swear you thought you knew, you knew them for a long time, and they just stab you in the back with no mercy, if you've experienced that, you know there are some things in the world which need to be made right. 
And that doesn't even begin to address the issue of why babies die of AIDS on the other side of the world. They didn't do anything to anybody. See, we, we, we see these things and we get it's messed up. And so we have to actually, at some point, think about it, and we do, and we have to figure out what is going to happen. Can things actually be made right? Can all of this mess be undone? Can a family that's been ripped apart by divorce, can, it, can, can you have peace after that? And if you're just diagnosed with like a chronic disease and there's no cure for that, like is there actually hope for your life? Or when you watch a two-year-old baby die of a preventable disease on the other side of the world because there's not enough medicine donations, you have to ask, is this going to get better? And the truth is, when it comes to the issue of evil, you have three options. And I'd like to present them to you because this is kind of where we start in this whole thing of what were we made for. You can go to the next slide. So here's how you can respond to evil. Option number one, you can get used to it. And a lot of people will tell you to do that. You kind of see that in the opening quote from the, the film there. Uh, you know, Mikhail Gorbachev's philosophy of life. People born, people suffer, people die. Welcome to Soviet Russia. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can just see how this is, like, entrenched in that particular part of the world, that point of view. It's get used to it. You're born, you suffer, you die, that's it, end of story. So you might as well just grab what you can and hope that you do okay. Life sucks, get what you can, and get out. That's kind of one philosophy. It's one way of dealing with evil. And a lot of people fit into that category. Now, if you can't live with that idea, you could move on to option number two, which is escape to a better place. And there's a lot of attempts here. In fact, every year, I watch hundreds and hundreds of people just like you um, that's nice code for saying some of the people in this room. But anyways, literally, people who are full of promise and potential, who are dealing with deep pain in their lives, and because they don't know how to deal with the suffering, they self-medicate with drugs and alcohol. So it literally is like, you got great person, went through some crap, has no idea what to do, and now their life consists of, you know, Facebook statuses that are things like, you know, my life sucks, everything hurts so bad, need to blaze so bad, does anyone have anything? And that's like your life. Because it's just, i got to escape to a better place. I just, if I could just not feel. You know, drugs and alcohol tend to be like the, the first things that people turn to to escape from their emotional pain. And then we wake up and realize that we're just number than we were before, we're dirtier than we were before, we're messed up more than we were before. And so we say, well, maybe I need to try something else. And usually next stop on you know, the train, or sometimes this is reverse, but next stop sometimes is, is relationships. And I mean, I can call them relationships, but really, more accurately, it's sexual relationships. So we feel the effects of evil. We feel what like, loneliness and isolation does to us. And so sometimes we try to medicate by using other people because it feels good to be close. It feels good to be loved. Until we find out that love wasn't actually love because we were being used while they were doing things with other people and we're still stuck back in the same place that we were before. And then sometimes escape is about money. You know, it's like the whole idea where um, when I grow up, I'm going to have money. So we grow up and we work ourselves to death to make lots of money so that we can escape to Mexico twice a year and drink more alcohol and do more drugs and have more anonymous sex, hoping that as long as the party keeps going, we'll be okay. We just escape. You know, it's another form of escape, but you never, you never see it coming. Is this is where religion comes in. See, people think that maybe 
A spiritual escape can work. Like, you know, me, you know, I, okay, so maybe I can't rescue my body and the real, you know, and that maybe I can't actually fix all the real world issues, but at least I could escape on the inside. Spiritually, I'll escape. And so people, you know, they join monasteries or they go get their fortunes told or they adopt the hope that when we die, we'll escape to heaven and play harps in the clouds because that will be so much better than this. Can I just be honest with you? Escape doesn't work. It never works. It just doesn't. We know that sex and drugs and money don't work. And, and most people's objections to religion are objections that I actually agree with. If all your faith in God provides you is the promise that eventually you'll escape to heaven, but it has nothing to say to actually solving the problem of evil in the real world where we live right now, then you have a useless faith. You do. I, I really mean what I'm saying, and I know it sounds terrible and harsh, but the reality is, is when God shows up, if what he's doing is not going to impact the real world of evil and suffering, the things that we see all the time, if the best that we get is, well, when you die, you get to go to heaven, that's not good enough. And fortunately, that's not what the Bible gives us. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say about this real issue of evil and suffering. And, and if you want to know what that is, well, you could embrace option number three. And here's option number three, is when the better place invades this place and redeems it. See, that's actually what God is up to. If you want to know what God's mission in the world is, it's basically this. God says, I'm going to invade this place and redeem it. I'm going to fix it. If you're reading the Bible, it's not very long into getting in the Bible before you realize that things got a little bit messed up. Before, like, there's murders and lying and people are, like, you know, having affairs and stuff and it's just messy. It's really quickly that that happens. But, you know, right away, God begins to intervene. And in fact, in Genesis chapter 12, we read the beginning of the story of Abraham. And I'd like to just read you just one section of it right here. It says this, it says, God told Abraham, leave your country, your family, and your father's home. For a land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make you famous. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Now you need to understand what God's saying here. He's choosing a person. He's choosing a real human being. And he's saying, listen, through you, I'm going to bring blessings to a world that's experiencing curses. You ever thought about that? When you're experiencing curses, when you're experiencing dysfunction and pain, what would it be like if somebody walked into your life and brought blessing instead of curses? It's interesting that God, right in the middle of this initial mess in humanity, he picks Abraham and he says, listen, through you, I want to bring blessings. I want to bring life. I want to bring restoration. I want to bring redemption. In other words, he says, like, Abraham, every human being is going to be blessed by what I do in you. And so this process begins. And if you follow the Bible, what you find out is that the people that came from Abraham have this long history of doing incredible things. They're fighting for justice, and they're caring for the poor. They're standing for truth, that sort of thing. In other words, they're doing exactly what God intended, that they're being a blessing. It's a pretty incredible Thing. But all of that actually pales in comparison to the fulfillment of the promise because the descendant of Abraham, Jesus Christ, enters the scene. And then nothing is ever the same after that. See, the life of Jesus is astounding 
when we read about it. In every situation, he just keeps putting the world right. You can go to the next slide. I mean, here's a man who doesn't just, he doesn't just punish sinners. He actually makes them holy. Have you ever thought about that? See, our version of justice is we take somebody who's been like robbing people, and our version of justice is we put them in jail. You know what God's version of justice is? He changes who they are. So they become beautiful human beings again. There's a total restoration. And so this is what Jesus gets up to. It's pretty incredible. I mean, here's Jesus. He doesn't just quarantine the sick and say, everyone, stay away from them. They have H1N1. It's awful. Stay away. Instead, he heals them. He doesn't play along with the status quo. Instead, he starts empowering women and slaves. Like, who does that? Who does that? Well, Jesus does. Here's a man who doesn't just talk big talk. He lays down his life for humanity. And why does Jesus do that? Because God is not okay with the curses and the injustice that you and I experience. He's not okay with it. He's not okay with the widespread effect of sin. He's not okay with pain, with greed, with selfishness, with the destruction that I let loose in our world. And so God's mission is to fix that. And it's a mission that began with Abraham found its, its height in Jesus Christ, and now it continues. So now here's the big question for you. If God's mission is to right the wrongs in the world and bring justice and redemption once and for all, are you on his side? I, I mean that. If God's mission is to enter the brokenness and the injustice of this world and start making it right, are you on his side? I'm asking, I mean, maybe, you may think you are, but like, let's just think about this for a second. The truth is that all of us, every one of us, will actually be on the side of evil unless we allow Jesus to truly enter our lives and change who we are. Because Jesus doesn't just defeat the monster of sin that's at loose in the world. First, before he can even do that, he has to defeat the monster of sin that's at loose in my life. Most of the evil and the injustice and the suffering that we experience is because people are pretty darn selfish. And so people say, I'm going to take what I can and what I want, even though it'll destroy you. God can't defeat the monster of evil in the world until he defeats the monster of evil in me and in you. And the beginning of this idea that God has this mission, this thing that he's up to, begins here with, would we actually come to Jesus and say, okay, I will submit my life to you. Jesus, I'm going to let you get in on this life of mine. I'm going to leave the corrupt system and make a difference. See, your life actually matters because your life has the potential to be totally redemptive. The life light of God dwells inside you. And what ends up happening is you begin to sort this world out through the way Jesus does. And what does that look like? Well, we see it every day. We see it when we feed people who don't have any food. Which sounds like such a generic thing. I always like that's such a Christian-y, churchy, pastory thing to say, right? Like when we feed the poor. But actually, like it's something we do on a on a weekly basis. People who don't have enough to eat, and we're like, we got your back. It's an incredible moment where we're actually writing what's wrong in the world. 
You know, we see it when we choose to stand for justice and what's right. That's going to get really interesting, by the way. I don't know if you guys have been following the news lately, but, you know, the, the exceptionally well-educated Supreme Court justices in our country have decided that it was unconstitutional to keep prostitution illegal. So now, that's cool, like... They've kind of tried to open the door legally to say, you know, this is a valid profession. Think about that for a second. Our government is telling Canadians that for a pimp to manipulate a girl into being treated like a piece of meat and being sexually used by people who have money where he gets the biggest cut, yeah, that's fine. And there comes a point where it's really interesting where you watch the values in the culture you live in start to just completely not make sense anymore. So what happens when you as a Canadian say, "Uh, that may be legal now, but that's just really wrong. And I'm not going to be okay with that. And I would fight for justice. I fight for the idea that people should not be treated like things. How about that? Well, you'll probably be opposed. People will probably call you names and they'll say nasty things about you and they'll say you're an idiot. But the reality is, is when we do those things, even when it would be easier to compromise, you know what I think happens? I think we start writing some of the things that are wrong in the world. We see it every time we live lives of love and kindness and charity, but most importantly, we see it when we lift up the gospel of Jesus because that's the only hope for the whole world. You see, it's only through Jesus that evil is actually defeated and we can actually embrace true humanity. This is what God's mission is in the world. Three parts. That's all we're doing with I was made for. But you know, the first part is you were made for more. You were made for more than curses and injustice. And God's mission is to actually create a place where you experience that. Can we stand together? I would love to just offer you the opportunity if maybe there's just in, in talking about some of this tonight, maybe this has resonated with you a little bit and you've thought, I've never really thought about it this way. I would just love to just offer you the opportunity. If you would just like to say that here in this moment, I really, I, I just need to not be reserved here. I need to actually give the fullness of my life to Jesus. I want to make sure that you have the opportunity to do that. I think it's so important. In fact, all I would just ask is this, is could we could you just, just do me a solid and if everyone could just kind of like, you know, bow your head and close your eyes for a minute. It's really the only way to make sure there's any semblance of privacy in a room full of people. So please just don't look around. Just, just look, look at the ground and close your eyes just for a minute. If, if that would be you and you just say, listen, like, I'll be honest with you. I don't really, I've not really given my whole life over to Jesus so that he can defeat the monster of sin in me. But I'd love for that to happen. I would just love to pray for you, and I'm not going to embarrass you or point you out or anything like that, but if that's just where you're at, would you, would you mind just slipping your hand up? I'd just love to just know I could just pray for you. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. So, so glad that that's where your heart is. I'd like to pray for you, and then if you're one of the people that put your hand up, um, you know, I would love to, if you don't have a Bible, I'd love to hook you up with one because I think it's really important to have one of those, but... 
Let me just pray. Father, I just pray for every person who just lifted their hand right now. Lord, just in this moment, they've just said, Jesus, defeat the monster of sin in my life. And so, God, I just pray as they stand before you with their heart open and full of faith, God, I just pray that you would just give them the assurance in their life of knowing that because they've asked you to come and do that, you're coming to do that. And God, I just pray over these coming weeks that as you begin to speak to them about just the little things, the things where you're like, yeah, I want to change this and I want to change that. God, would you give them the courage to be obedient to you? And God, I just pray that you give us all the courage just to walk with you and keep our lives submitted to you so that you can defeat the evil in us and through us defeat the evil in the world. In your name we pray. Amen. For those of you that stuck your hand up, just so you know, you'll probably experience that over the next few weeks. When we come to Jesus and say, would you please defeat the monster of sin in me, what that usually looks like is then we're in a moment where it's like, you know, you could do something that's like pretty nasty to another individual, and you'll just hear the voice of Jesus being like, nope, nope, you're not going to say that. It's because he's doing it. I'd love to just leave you with a blessing. We're, we're going we're gonna to open up our cafe and we've got more hot chocolate and tea and all that wonderful stuff. We'd love just to hang out. It's so good. We've missed you. It's been, a great, it's been great to be back. But can I just leave you with a blessing? And uh, you guys can get music ready and all that kind of jazz, right? Wink, wink. Catching, catching how I'm going here. Wink, wink. Right on. In, in ancient times, when a person wanted to give another person a blessing, they would always raise their hands like this. And then those who wanted to receive the blessing would do the same. So if you would like to receive a blessing from the Lord, put your hands in the air and wave them like you just don't care. All right, just like that. It's good. Cool. May you always have the courage to obey the voice of Jesus. May God bring your life into places where you are in conflict with injustice. And may you be victorious and bring life and peace and humanity to those around you. Amen. Thanks so much for coming to Vertigo. See you next week.